All right, today we're going to be discussing what does it mean to be fully human at work with Kent Frazier, CEO of a coaching company that does transformational work with individuals, teams, and organizations, who is also my newest favorite person in the world, and you'll see why in a minute. Welcome to Work at Life. This is a show for everyone who believes that work should be just as fulfilling as life outside of work, and that the way to get there is through building more human workplaces. I'm Maddie Grant, a culture designer and co-founder of a culture consulting firm called Propel, and I'm your co-host alongside my fabulous friend, Sonia Lacina, an organizational psychologist heading up the workforce division at Question Pro. All right, Ken, welcome. Um, we'd love you to introduce yourself um, so our listeners can hear a little bit about, you know, well, actually, they're going to find out later why you're my newest favorite person <laughs> in the world. <laughs> well, uh, first, I, I, I just want to say thank you, Sonia. Thank you, Maddie, for having me as a guest. You all, it's been wonderful getting to know you as we go through the getting to know you process. You all are wonderful. And I have deep bow of respect for uh, the show you have and the work you both do in the world. So thanks for having me here. Um, gosh, who am I? It's a tough question. And we can all name a hundred things. I'm a dad. I've got two little kids, a five and seven year old. I'm a son. I'm a brother. I'm a friend. Um, I'm a musician, an athlete. Uh, I do coaching work, you know, with, with individuals and teams and organizations and, in really exploring this question that you teed up at the beginning here that, that we're in this conversation, what does it mean to be fully human? Um, and we can hold that in the context of our work since that's what has most of our attention most of the time. So right. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for having me here. Yes. Thank you. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the work that you do before we get into our, our discussion today? Yeah, for sure. So I've spent, you know, roughly 30 years, you know, I'm 52 years old in corporate life, stewarding the human condition of large industry leading organizations. How do the people that we employ take care of the people that we most want to serve, whoever our customers are, whatever industry is in, you know, how does that whole value equation work? If we, if we have healthy employees that are, that are doing things they care about and are interested in, how do they serve the customers that we care about serving in ways that, you know, have some positive impact in the world? So I had all kinds of different jobs in that equation from recruiting to running learning and development to being an HR business partner from leading the whole HR function to doing coaching works. So it's like just a student of the human dynamic, particularly in the work context and how that part of our lives that has so much of our energy and attention impacts our sense of self and who we think we are and who we think we need to be in the world and how that impacts the people that we love most. Well, you know, we can't wait to talk to you more about our topic for today. So as always, we're going to kick us off, um, kick off the conversation with a data point. So Sonia, take it away. My turn. <laughs> yes. Um, so this is, this topic is extremely near and dear to my heart because I am a big proponent of being able to bring every bit of yourself to the workplace. But I also understand that 
for many people, it's not easy. Many organizations don't necessarily have the culture, but I just see that as one of those, like when you think about necessities in the future and the things that'll be critical for an organization to have like the people that they want um, as, a, as a part of their company, it's going to be a must. It's not going to be a nice to have. It's not going to be optional. And so I think the sooner people, organizations figure out how do we do this? How do we create these spaces? The better off all of us will be. <laughs> Businesses, people, all of us. So um, as usual, we asked 300 workers in the US, um, is it okay for you to be fully human at work? And when we got the results back, I, I, I'm trying to be a realist. You all know by now that I, I am a bit of an optimist, but only half of the people said, yes, mm -hmm. I feel fully and completely safe to share what's real with me and my life at work. Only half of the people. Now, another 15% said, yes, I can share li my life with my team and or manager, but not beyond. So like that immediate circle around you. And then a third was a variation of a no. Like, no, there is no way I can share anything about my life at work. 10% of people said that. And in this case, we didn't, you know, do further data analysis or cuts. But if and when we do in the future, my bets would be that these are in some of the most more diverse groups. Some more of the people where, as organizations, we want to desperately feel like everybody belongs and they're a part, but a lot of times when you look around, you're like, wow, I'm, I'm going through something that I feel like maybe nobody else is. It makes it that much more challenging to share it, but it makes it that much more important. So anyways, more to be studied there. Um, and then the other people who said no, they said no, but I can talk to HR or legal if necessary. So like, at least I feel like if I have like a really, you know, urgent harassment or a really, really tough life-threatening issue, I can do it. Um, and about 20, just under 20% said, no, I can only share with my closest friends at work. So that's usually for many people is like one, two people. So in the place where we physically or virtually are present, most of our waking hours during the work week, sadly, um, we feel like we can be our complete self. So I think there is a lot of work to be done. But um, Kent, I'm curious as somebody, you know, I'm I'm really passionate about this personally, professionally, but I, I look to you and like Maddie was saying, like, we love the work that you do and we love that you dedicate so much of what you do to this. Um, when you saw this data and you see that only 50% of people said that they can really be their fully their full selves and work like did that surprise you like what what did you walk away with <laughs> when you saw these numbers yeah uh th thank you so much sonia it um this is the first time i've actually offer authored an experiment or a survey like this so i had no idea what to expect mm -hmm. you know so in some ways you know i was like gosh i wonder if it's going to be lower you know it's like in some yeah. ways you're saying wow only 50 percent in some ways i'm saying like wow 50 percent yeah. Right. Like if, if, we're up to, if we're up to, you know, if you think about the engagement survey from Gallup, you know, that's been doing Q12 forever, you know, or, or whatever other employee engagement stuff you may have, where they would say only a third of the workforce or only 10%. Well, I don't, I don't, Maddie, do you remember the data there? Like what was the, the percentage of the workforce or Sonia, the percentage of the workforce that was highly engaged or engaged? It's, it's, it's never 50%. No, it's very yeah. low. <laughs> right. So in that way, I was like, oh, wow. I was, that was my, 
my, no. my one piece of data. It's like, well, is it, how's it going to relate to the employee engagement data? Like from strongly engaged to, you know, yeah. not engaged or di strongly disengaged. Right. And so that, that was what I was kind of, I wonder where it's going to land in relation to that data set. So when I saw 50%, I was actually more in the, wow, like that, that seems higher than, you know, 50% of the people saying they're engaged at work, but yeah. I can fit 50% of the people are saying I could be myself fully. That, that to yeah. me is promising. I also, one of the other things, as you were noting, um, it, it seems paradoxical. The lowest percentage I think was, I can't talk to HR legal authentically. That mm -hmm. got the lowest percentage and those functions are there to actually protect and preserve that. Yet that has the lowest yeah. sense of, oh, I'm, it's safe for me to say who I actually am and mean within that group. Yeah. That was surprising to me. Yeah. Well, it's interesting as you say that too, like it, it, now I'm like, oh man, I'm still an optimist, I guess, where I was like, oh, 50% bummer. <laughs> You're like, That's no, send away, actually. <laughs> But, you know, and, and I think to your point, that'll be really important to study the relationship between the impact of being able to be your full self and engagement. Like, I would say probably my hypothesis is, is that there is a correlation, um, but that it's not enough. Like, and that maybe, again, that's me being optimistic and hopeful is that I don't, I don't think we're at the point yet where if I feel like I'm, I'm in a meeting or something just awful happened to me and I get on with my colleagues and I'm like, I so desperately want to say something, but I feel like I can't. And Maddie knows, like, I do. <laughs> like, I, Asanya, like, I do. I wear everything out there because I think as a part of it, as a leader, I want to set that example for my team. I want them to feel like whether it's a one-on-one -on -one or a group setting or wherever they feel comfortable sharing that, um, that they can um, and that we are colleagues, but we're friends and we're family and we're here to support each other. But I'm, I will be curious and I think it would be a fabulous study to do that. It's probably not enough for engagement. It's almost like at some point you need that floor or we'll get to the point where you need that floor. And then you have like more positive experiences, you know, based on it. Because I remember this wasn't my organization. I loved it. I worked at career builder. You mentioned recruitment. I worked there for 10 years and I loved that company. Like, man, like, I think they're going to be hard to live up to for the rest of my career because I, I enjoyed being there so much. And I always, like, I had that filter. Like, when I joined Question Pro, I was like, ah, similar culture. I love that. Uh, but I also remember for me personally, I entered into a somewhat executive position in my late 20s. And let me tell you, I wore a turtleneck and a suit to work almost every day <laughs> because I felt like I needed to play a part. Like I felt like I was going in these executive meetings and I had a PhD. So that was kind of like the, oh, look, I work hard card. Um, but I still felt like I had to prove something about myself and that shed over time. Um, but that was also two decades ago. <laughs> It was a long time ago. Um, so I would hope that the workplace changed a little bit. But like, I'm wondering, like, what are some of the things that you're seeing like people do or in your coaching work or like we're we're saying that like moving ahead, it's so important for people to be able to, if they want to bring their whole selves to work, what are the barriers and what can we do about them? Whether it's, you know, as an organization or as a person. Well, so like, 
as my son here is, is demonstrating <laughs> perfectly on cue. Say hi, Jackson. Hi. He's not going to be able to hear you because I'm on my headphones, but you know, that's a cool name because my son is also called Jackson. So there you go. Oh, Jackson. Maddie's son's name is also Jackson. Pretty cool, huh? <laughs> so we bring our, like, we bring ourselves, this we bring our it. whole selves to work. Like in, when COVID started, what was all pretense before, you know, Sonia, is you're like, oh, I actually felt like I had to put a costume on. Yeah. Like I have to wear a turtleneck and I have to wear this in order to substantiate myself in some way, like to, to fulfill some set of cultural narratives or givens that of who we think we have to be. And so this is what we explore in our work is we were all given these things it, from our families and cultures of origin. Who do we have to be? What's a permissible occupation to yeah. go into? Um, and what does success look like? And what costume do you have to put on? And, and, you know, giving people permission to actually explore um, how those early uh, givens are actually working and for themselves and their families and, and what they're up to in the world. And, and do I have choice in the matter? Yeah. You know, and, and so... Uh, a, a lot of our work now is, is as people feel the, the, those three streams that I spoke to earlier, like, what do I need in order to be sane, <laughs> healthy uh, in my own sense of self so that I can be sane and healthy with these folks and not just lose my mind all the time. <sighs> and if I have a difficult client or a, you know, an employee who's stressed or I have a a challenging relationship with my manager. I mean, th these are the kinds of things that I work with. You know, people are dealing with, gosh, I'm at home and um, I have a family member who's battling a significant illness <laughs> and they need me. And, and I actually have to show up for this customer call. And we can't pretend that that's not happening. Yes, we have to learn, like there's muscles we need to develop. Mm -hmm as adults to be able to context shift and, and hold different levels of uh, intensity and ambiguity and complexity involved. Like th these are the muscles that we need to develop. And so much of the work we're doing is without making wrong, without making wrong all the stuff I was given and, and how I got myself organized in my life and in my career and in my family. Great. This got me here. Is it working for me? Am I thriving? Am I healthy? Am I creating a, a, a healthy wake in the world? I like with that. the way I'm showing up with the quality of my attention, mm -hmm. with the quality of my words, with the quality of my efforts, or am I, you know, am I lighting fires and putting knots in people's stomachs and, mm -hmm. and, you know, those kinds of things. And so this is what we're working with. How, how do we, how do we collectively, what's our work at this time in human history when the unraveling of the systems that we were all born into are naturally yeah. a new day unravel? Yeah. Yeah. I, it's I like, was it's talking like trying to keep fall from happening. <laughs> like you, yeah. no leaves, yeah. you can't fall off the trees. Well, no, no this is just where we are in the cycle of things. <laughs> And so yeah. how do we learn how to be fully human? Because we're all under stresses and pressures 
that we haven't experienced before. And the speed and the draws and demands for our attention. I mean, it's, it's tough being human right now and navigating the, these confluence of circumstances and conditions. Well, and I, I think we've talked a lot on this podcast about, about how the pandemic specifically has um, opened the door to some of these um, topics, right? And themes and just thrown the windows and doors open so that everything is visible, which is actually extremely positive in many ways in terms of being fully human at work. Like you, you know, just like, you know, we just said hi to your son, like, you see people's lives in their backgrounds. Um, but I'm wondering, even though that is a, a positive, whether there's a piece of this, of being fully human at work that is really about sort of communication skills. Like, is it a, like, how do you, how are you fully human at work? Like beyond the Zoom background, like, is it about knowing how to ask for help? Is it about knowing how to share how or when to share your stories? Is it about, you know, as as leaders, making sure that you ask the questions and show by example? Like, is it is it kind of a communications exercise? Because I worry about people who are introverted and they don't, just don't know how to do it beyond showing their Zoom background. You know what I mean? Yeah, I appreciate the question. Um, and I'm going to put forward something I read in a Harvard Business Review article back in the late 90s, early 2000s that Ram Sharan, if you if you are familiar with any of his work, he put forth um, the idea that dialogue is the most basic and fundamental unit of work in organizations. I like that. Yeah. The way we talk to each other. Right. And so if we think about um, um, if we notice like, okay, so we all have a view, we have a way of seeing ourselves. We have a way of seeing our work. We have a way of seeing our colleagues. We have a way of seeing our customers. We have a way of seeing our to-do list. We have a way of seeing how the world occurs to us that has us think about it in a certain way such that we say what we say and we don't say what we don't say. Yeah. And, what is said gives rise to what we think we can do next. What's our strategy? <laughs> what, what are we going to do? So before we do anything, we're in conversation about what we should do. And so the quality and the integrity of our conversation is foundational to our well-being and efficacy in the workplace or in our family dynamic, how we listen and ask questions and offer perspectives and hold different opinions in an honoring way without making the other person wrong is, is why we named our company Paradox Edge a decade plus ago. It's like, wow, as one grows up, we realize that two things that are seemingly opposite are both true and neither one's wrong. North doesn't make South wrong. The <laughs> inhale doesn't make the exhale wrong or bad. Fast doesn't make slow wrong. An introvert doesn't make an extrovert wrong or bad. Like we, we need all of this. And so how do we create the conditions that we can honor the whole expression of our humanity, not always being trying to prove something like I need to be right or I need to be heard. But, you know, and so this is the element that we're most dealing with. 
are how do we listen and speak to one another and the quality and the integrity of that conversation. And one of the primary tools we use is the Carpman drama triangle. Am I speaking as I'm complaining and someone or something's doing something to me? So I'm like, wow, yeah. And is that, is that how I'm being? Am I blaming someone else? Like making wrong, judging, persecuting? And, and is that what I sound like? Or am I going around trying to pretend that everything's fine and everything's fine and don't worry about it. Everything's fine. Like every, just don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. Everything's fine. And so when we notice how we're showing up in our conversation, that those conversations create the actual worlds that we step into and live into. So yes, Maddie, <laughs> the, short, the short answer to your question is yes, it's about the conversation. And am I aware of my wake and what comes out of my mouth? Is it kind? Is it necessary? Is it true? That's my responsibility. Right speech. So one of the things we wanted to talk about is, is how, how we take care of each other in this context. And we've obviously touched on that a little bit already, but, but related to what you're saying, like is, is really having that capacity and, and the process and structure to do the listening. Is that the way that you start, you know, being able to take care of each other at work? Having I think listening is a big part. Yeah. You know, and I'm a huge fan of Brene Brown, you know, and the way she speaks yeah, to be important. It. Yeah. I mean, who does, I mean, if you're doing your work, you got to understand the importance of developing those muscles. Right. And I love how she speaks to empathy is like, I, it, it might be really hard for me to pretend that I'm a 50 year old, you know, African-American woman because I'm not. So I, it's hard for me to actually put myself in her shoes. But what I can do is actually believe what she says about her own experience and not try to explain to her why, well, maybe it wasn't that way you experienced it. I can just believe you that I can believe you that it might look nice and I'm pretending that it's cool for me to have my kid climb on my back while I'm in a conversation and inside I'm like, Oh, you got like, get off me, you know, but I can't, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, I don't know. Is no, this making any sense? <laughs> no, I, I love it. But to that end, like, is how much is too much? Like to, for your example, like your kid is on your shoulder. Like what if you like, and you would never do that. But what if you're like, Jackson, go away. No, I do do that sometimes. No, no, it's perfect. I do do that sometimes. I absolutely do that sometimes. And so it's it's learning how to set, um, how did someone say, who can I attribute this to? Uh, it might be Brene's work as well. How do I learn how to set and respect boundaries? Yeah, I think that's important to talk about because because you can bring too much of your full self. Like maybe you walk around yes. your house all day long in your boxers. Right. Like, you know, maybe I do. <laughs> but I'm not going to do that on Zoom because, you know, somebody right. might not like that. <laughs> totally. Totally. Yeah. And Brene speaks to this as well as she speaks to vulnerability. It's like, it's not okay for a leader to come in and just be like, ah, I have no idea what we're doing and everything's a shit show and it's a mess and ah. <laughs> It's okay right. to say, I'm not, I'm, I'm not really sure what we should go. Here's some ideas that I have. Mm -hmm. I'd love to hear what other people's latest and best thinking is because I, I don't know if I'm right and I'm not sure what's happening. What do y'all think? Because I think we can figure it out. Mm 
And that's the quality of the conversation. And that's a leader not having to be right. But that's being comfortable not knowing all these things. What's that? That needs to be almost a trained skill. Developed, yeah, for sure. Because a lot of people don't know how to do that. (laughs) Well, Well, let's think about the society we've lived in and how we've been conditioned. The person who knows all the answers wins. The person who's always right gets picked first. The person who, right, like, and so we learn to lead. That's a very low level, if we think about a maturity model or operating systems, a lower level of development is I lead only as the expert. And, and if you look at some of the work that, you know, Bob Keegan's done and Bill Torbert's done it in Harvard and they translate these developmental models, the expert mode of leading is actually best um, attributable to individual performer work. Because for the expert who can only move from a place of knowing, there are very few other possibilities that ever exist outside the most finite swatch of what I know. Well, and I would argue it actually even goes a level below that where the person who like is the top of the hierarchy, whether that's, you know, just in your team or in the whole company automatically is the one with all the answers, even when they're a doofus and have no answers and suck at their job and we all hate them, but they're the boss. So what do you do? Well, that's, that's, that's a developmental move. So when we think about development, we can think about horizontal development, what I know. We can think of that as the apps I can run on a particular operating system or programs. And we can think about vertical development, how I actually make meaning and make sense of the world. And as we mature and develop and we can hold more perspectives that are actually competing simultaneously without making the other one wrong, we realize we're leading from a place of, I always have the most limited view. My job as the leader is to make sure I get as clear a view of the whole as I possibly can from all these smart people I've hired because they all see it differently than I do. So if we can put all of our highest and best views together and get some hope of what actually might be happening besides each of our individual needs to be the one who knows. <laughs> it's like the six blind men and the elephant allegory. Yeah. You all know this story, yeah. right? Everyone's holding a different part. They're all partially right in describing their experience of the elephant and they're all completely wrong. Yeah, because they have no idea what they're actually Because they don't see the whole, exactly. <laughs> no. So how do we learn when we're in conversation? If we bring this to like, what's the muscle? What's the skill we're actually developing people in? In any context, how do I appreciate that the way I'm seeing things is simply that? It's the way I'm seeing things. It's partial and it's true. And how do I create space and grace and presume positive intent with whoever I'm with in my family, in my community, in my neighborhood, in my workspace. Oh, they're actually trying to do good too. And they're not here to actually attack me. So I don't have to defend myself. Like it's just how they see things and how they're trying to get through this crazy life that we're all trying to get through as best we can. I actually, I focus on that a lot, assuming positive intent, because it's, it's very easy to, to tell your own story about people and their motives and blah, blah, blah. Well, that's but- that. what you just said is one of the frames that we teach. 
Okay, great. When you notice, I'll just say it in first person because I have to practice it all the time. <laughs> when I notice that I'm in some story that has me complaining or blaming or at the effect of, great. Okay, Kent, the story I'm telling myself right now is, and that gets me present. So I'm the one who's actually authoring this story. What's happening is just what's happening. He's just pointing <laughs> his finger. The story that I'm telling myself is the story I'm telling myself about why it's permissible or why it's not. Why 50% of this is fine, why 50% of this is not, right? And, and like how and where and when do we draw boundaries? And can we do that skillfully such that he's not contracted and I'm not screaming <laughs> but I'm also teaching him like, hey, dude, you know, like daddy asked you for some space. And I'll be with you in a few. Right. <laughs> Thanks for coming in and saying hi. <laughs> right? He just wants to be acknowledged. Yeah. Right. How well, many that's the work, truth, right? That's, right? As you speak about the, the introverted people that, you know, typically are overwhelmed by the person who hogs the mic. <laughs> And how do I make sure that I, as a leader, knowing that I like to hog the mic, how do I make sure I create space for the people that Daddy. are reluctant to grab the mic to allow them to feel Daddy. confident to grab the mic? Yes, my love. <laughs> um, in an hour. Thanks, bud. An hour? One hour. You're doing so great. <laughs> Thank you, Bobby Lou. So cute. <laughs> my kid still does that. She's 16. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but right at work too, right? People just want to be heard. Yeah, no, I think and so. Our job as a leader, make sure people's voices and perspectives are represented because they matter. Yeah. So I can't believe it, but we're already at, at time just about. And Sonia, do you have any final thoughts before we ask Kent for his final thoughts? <laughs> no, I've just been taking it all in so you can move over the mic. I've just been absorbing. <laughs> So yeah, Kent, just for just to close us off, um, we've talked about listening, but what's what's an like what's the takeaway that you want people to take away from this conversation or or one last you know concrete practical tip that people can take away? Yeah, thanks. Um, I, just the appreciation um, recognition and acknowledgement that we are all simply fully human. We all have beautiful attributes of ourselves and we all have icky, stinky stuff that we wrestle with and that, you know, we bring into the workplaces and that we bring into our most important relationships. And can we give ourselves some grace and, and not amplify um, less than healthy ways of relating to ourselves and other people when we actually do express our, our unpleasant parts? How do we wrap those in our pleasant parts and, and acknowledge our full humanity? And then, you know, just coming from that place of positive intent and grace. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much. This was a really wonderful conversation. Um, and yes, we're so happy to have you um, on the show. Um, Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Again, deep bow for the work that you all do in the world. And keep it up, please. Your, your voices and what you do are important. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. All right. So we are out and we'll see everybody next week.